senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Howdy, stranger, and <laughs> welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 91, Wicked, Wicked Fucking Late. Yep. Uh, what has it been, about three, four weeks? At least, yeah. Uh, moving sucks, kids. Don't do it. Just Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible experience. I didn't think it was going to be that bad, because we were anticipating being able to do shows Right up until just about we moved yes, to the new home office, which was uh, October 30th. And I know we, we missed at least one ahead of time. Because here was the thinking, at least in my head, it was, you know, the la- I had moved in nine, nine years. Neither of us had. Yeah. So the, the last time I remember, yeah, it was, it was a huge amount of effort. But last time, yeah, we had to pack all our own shit. And it's, this time it's like, you know, yeah, we're we're at an age and... Enough. We we made some money out of the sale. We're not broke. Fuck it. We're gonna have people come in and pack everything all in one day, and yeah. then move, and then we'll move the new stuff in. And yeah, we want to have some res- renovations done, but that's gonna be quick. That's gonna be quick because we were watching fucking nothing but HGTV for a fucking month. And if you watch any of those shows, it's such unmitigated fucking bullshit. Because they're twenty two minutes. And somebody finds a house by like the 10 minute mark. And then, you know, the smiling property brothers come in and they show you knocking down a cabinet and bringing granite in. And then suddenly everybody's home and it's wonderful. Or you're watching the other one and, and no matter what you do, you can't escape uh, design choices involving a giant clock. Oh, God. Yeah. Which one's that? Uh, Fixer Upper. Yeah. See, I, I should know that by now, except, yeah, since we came in here, we have not been able to watch very much. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so what nobody tells you is, uh, yes, they're going to come in and pack everything in one day, but then you're completely crippled and you've already had certain services shut off and you're trying to catch up at work because you got to take two or three days off just to get all of this done and then yeah okay you're in the house well it's a house that was built in 1988 something like that and yeah. all your shit's in boxes and <laughs> which means computers are in one box and studio shit's in another one and you've already got you figure all right at the very least for the studio we're all set because we have an electrician coming in on the first day to tell us what it's going to take to get internet through the house yeah um, cause yeah, with the way it's set up, we got uh, an extra floor here and we have enough toys and crap. We need, we need have, internet. We need internet. Then, uh, he's like, oh yeah, two days. Bullshit. Two days. <laughs> it was, it was two days and he's coming back, I think for his sixth or seventh day on Tuesday to finish up the last of the stuff that, yeah. that we need him to do. And. Now, to be fair, he did get us internet ready in about two and a half days, but then that was a whole nother pile of crap with our internet bundle provider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. I don't want to call him a filthy word like Comcast <laughs> or Xfinity, but I will. So Comcast and Xfinity, to be fair, yeah, the, the electrician that we hired did great work and he got everything set up and he said, you know, look, at the flat minimum, your appointment is Saturday. I will have it set up so you can hook up the Wi-Fi router so you've got Wi-Fi in the house at the very least. Okay, perfect. And then 
Again, Comcast just seems like such a dirty word. It does. It makes me feel filthy and I want to shower. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we'll we'll call them Comcast because that's their name. <laughs> Showed up. We're like, great. We need you to hook us up so we can get the router hooked up. They're like, that's fine. But we also need to test every television to make sure that's working. Yeah. Right, well, the TVs are all wall mounted. The electrician is going to mount them next week. I've got a giant projection job up in the office on the third floor. I can't get that anywhere near a fucking cable jack. <laughs> and, so they fucked off. They said, well, we can't install it for you. So we wound up going with Fios. And even that took another five days to hook up. Yeah. And even though they did, there was a bunch of tweaking and figuring out how to patch all the things together. So we really thought there was going to be a show last week. Wound up not being able to do it between space and trying to figure out where half the equipment was. And then there's just the constant shit show of, and I'm sure, I know this is the case whenever you go into a new, a new place, there are things that the seller didn't tell you. Yeah. There's stuff that we didn't tell the people who bought our place. There's stuff we didn't discover about our place until we moved out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, oh my God, the sheer scope of shit in this house that. There seems to have been a lot of, um, freewheeling DIY stuff that, is um specious diy <laughs> specious th- suspicious i can't talk <laughs> diy dui <laughs> somebody was shit-faced while they were oh my god yeah we've got a bathroom where the ceiling is done with floor tile yeah and, poorly at that yeah and it's, uh, it's sort of like mrs jones third grade class decided that they were going to take on a bathroom remodel yeah <laughs> And we were afraid to use the washer dryer for a couple weeks because there was an overflow pipe that I've never known any professional to just dump pipe dope all over the floor and just <laughs> leave it there. So it's like, all right, I don't trust any of this plumbing till it gets looked at. One of the showers, the valve is hooked up backwards. The first day we were here, Amanda took a shower first and said, there's, there's no hot water. I'm like, shit, another thing. No, they just fucking, they ran the pipes backwards. So yeah. you need to turn it toward cold to get hot. The dishwasher. Um... Oh, that fucking thing. <laughs> Dishwasher turned on, but it turned out there's some fuck up with it. It wouldn't drain, so we came into the kitchen to find it spitting water out the top. <laughs> yeah, like it was possessed. <laughs> it was trying to get pea soup at Father Karras. And and the sink next to the dishwasher turned out to be held up by two-by-fours underneath the granite countertop. Uh, yeah. That was fun. The fucker just damned two-by-fours <laughs> under the bottom of the sink, so it turns out, you look close, he dented the sink. It's like... uh. God, what a, what a, there was some other plumbing thing that was fucked up. Um, oh, the bathroom, the second bathroom upstairs, um, wouldn't, they took out the stop, the, the thing that makes the stopper go up and down. So you had to manually hold up that piece if you wanted that sink to drain. You basically had to jack the sink off to get it to drain. <laughs> so yeah, it's just been a constant, terrible, and, oh, yeah. The, and down here in the new studio, uh, number one, it's, it's probably going to sound a little bit echoey uh, because it, we've, we just got to the point literally today yeah. where it was set up enough where we could actually get in here and set the studio up. So the, the show might sound a little bit different. We're running it on a different computer. I'm doing a backup into a digital recorder. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, this was the space we picked out. It's, perfect it's right near an internet jack we can get everything set up it's a yeah it turns out it's right next to the heat pump <laughs> so <laughs> so that's off right now so we're gonna endeavor not to get a hypothermia 
here in the basement. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, and none of the none of the we've been talking for eight minutes. None of it about comics. No, nope. it's just but this is why there's not been a show. We just we figured. Literally, I figured somebody's going to pack us and come unpack. Oh, we got to get the place painted. That's part of the other problem. <laughs> because while we really like the house, it looks like the previous owner just got whatever fucking gallons that were remaindered or they or, couldn't get anybody to buy them. Or had some sort of like Napoleon Sherbert fetish because the colors are all like, <laughs> it's like lemon yellow and lime green and peach. Yeah, it's like, it's like Miami Vice took a shit in this house. <laughs> Miami Vice had one of those A1 burgers, except for an <laughs> 80s version. And so, but because of that, yeah, we haven't been able to hang art or lay rugs down. Cause yeah, we're waiting for the painters and they're not going to come until next week. And that's going to be a two week job. So hopefully it's not going to get in the way of any more shows, but we'll let you know. Yeah. In a worst case scenario, at this point, we've located all the equipment. We'll just do the mobile rig in whatever room doesn't stink of paint and yeah. desperation. So we are right on the on the ragged edge too with the paint because if it snows, we're not going to be able to open a window to ventilate. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, and it's starting to become that kind of weather. So, yeah, look, if you're a regular listener, we sincerely apologize. I did not intend for this <laughs> to go four weeks in between episodes. Hopefully, this is the end of it, and we are back on a regular schedule. Because yeah, it's a. Studio is basically set up. There's some tweaking I got to do, and but yeah, we got a nice bigger table, and I shouldn't have to break it down every week, so I can tack some cables down. So that means I want to get some additional stuff in here. But I think we're basically okay at this point. Yeah. So then, yeah, at least we were okay enough. We finally got everything set up to have Netflix just in time for Jessica Jones debuted on Netflix on Friday. Yep. So. It was very much a case, like with Daredevil, it's, okay, get home from the day jobs and do a savage burn so we can do a show about it on Sunday. So we have been dutifully binging and drinking, binge drinking. Binge drinking. <laughs> binge watch drinking. Drink watch binge. I, I discovered- I was pretty hammered, that's all. Yeah, I, I discovered that I can easily um, drink two bottles of Chardonnay while watching, uh, what was it? Six episodes we burned through yesterday. <laughs> yeah. No, we did really well. Yeah, I did a, was it a 12-pack of uh, Berkshire Brewing Steel Rail, and that's not that's not that light Coors Light shit. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we did all right yesterday. And we did, and we wound up not using any of it. We did exactly the same <laughs> Did exactly the same thing we did with Daredevil, which was, oh, we'll get the recorder and we'll just set it up and we'll Mystery Science Theater 3000 the thing as we're going through. And we should have learned from Daredevil. We had eight out, no, yeah. we had 13 hours of audio that I had to listen to to get like two or three things off it. And it's uh, this time it was just not even worth going through. The cat didn't even puke at the end this time. Yeah. Which <laughs> I would say was disappointing, but uh, no, I can't handle any more repairs or cleanup in this place. <laughs> I just want to do the show and have a few drinks and go to bed at this point. Yes. But, but yes, we, we got through the whole thing, finally finished it this afternoon, and then finished that into a savage burn of, okay, now I have to assemble the fucking studio. So, so uh, yeah, it's, Amanda, what, what's your, give me first impressions of it. I enjoyed it. Um, my takeaway from, um, also known as Jessica Jones is that I, um, 
could be a superhero. My liver is the strongest organ and well, muscle <laughs> in my body, really, at this point. Uh, yeah, that, that was one joke we did two or three times during the show. <laughs> hey, look, we're superheroes. <laughs> like, yeah, like 10 years ago, this could have been me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for the super strength. <laughs> except for the super strength. I don't know, how's your hand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one time we were wrestling, Amanda broke my wrist. I, I feel shame. <laughs> I'm an enlightened male. Can take a punch, apparently. <laughs> Um, in any event, you know, I, I found myself as, as I was watching it feeling as though I, I was enjoying it separately from the comic. It, 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 it broad strokes the comic. It, it does not follow the comic. Um, no, it definitely doesn't. It's a, the, this mini series basic, the, the Kilgrave story was just one arc in the comic book. And I would say she definitely didn't have the sort of Scooby gang that they set up for her here. <laughs> oh, definitely not. It's, well, kind of. Yeah. Because I, I reread, I went out and picked up the first two trades. I mean, we we have all the original issues. They're um, in storage. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I put them in storage, they weren't worth anything. They've probably gone way up in value <laughs> since the TV show happened. But uh, fuck it, at least no movers got their hands on them. But, True. Uh, it, interestingly... Yeah, when when you and I first got together, I bought the first issue of it before I had any idea who Brian Michael Bendis was. Mm -hmm. I bought it purely because I thought it was a comics adaptation of J.J. Abrams' show Alias. <laughs> Which I enjoyed. Yeah, but it's a, then we both read it. It's like, oh, this is not the same thing, but this is pretty awesome, and I've never read a Marvel comic like this. Let's keep getting it. Yeah. But it's been a long time since I read all the way through. So I picked up the first two trades, uh... Saturday and, and reread them. And there's a little bit of a Scooby gang there. Um, and I, I want to talk about it a little more later on, but yeah, she had as a contact Carol Danvers. Yep. Uh, that she used to get in touch with the Avengers now and again. Yeah, certainly. And I was making the joke as we were watching it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, she didn't get railed in the pooper by Luke Cage this quickly. No, that was the first issue. I'd it forgotten. Was, I told you. But, <laughs> but she had Luke Cage. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were a few floating around, but yeah, certainly not a, Hey, we're all working together as a, as a semi team. Yeah. There, there was one kid who was sort of a superhero chaser who was trying to, to get work in her, in her office just to be around her. And I forget if later on he became more of a part of it. So there's a little bit of a Scooby gang, yeah. but certainly not in as almost regimented a way. They 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 very much set her up with a Scooby gang. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was even using, and it was jarring at times. She was even using terms in this uh, series like "big bad." Like, I'm not going. I'm going after the big bad. Yeah. There were at least one or two occasions. Where I'm like, it's as though Buffy the Vampire Slayer just was drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That's like if Buffy just picked up a bottle after she saw the master. Yeah. <laughs> And keep Xander on a hookup call basis. And <laughs> yeah, that's not a... Well, it's, the weird thing is, I think almost any superhero television programming really owe, is going to owe a debt to Buffy. Yeah. Buffy, for all intents and purposes, was a superhero show. And the first one to run season after season after season. Yes. So, yeah, the concept of a Scooby gang for... Romance slash comic relief, so, you know, makes a lot of sense. And of, of course, you're gonna if you're gonna crib from somebody, <laughs> you know, do it from Joss Whedon, who, yeah, had 
two of his four series canceled within <laughs> weeks. But you know what the fuck. I found the the use of um, Patsy Walker. I guess she's going by Trish now. <laughs> yeah, an interesting choice as a as a Carol Danvers stand-in. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly they have plans for Captain Marvel slash yeah. Carol Danvers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it was it made a certain amount of sense to me because again, rereading Alias <laughs> for the time that it was out, which was what. Late mid late two thousand one. Yeah, it's very weird as a time capsule reading that book because number one, it's sort of a, it sort of shows where the Marvel universe would wind up in fifteen years. Yeah, because at the time, Carol Danvers was not doing anything in the Marvel universe. I think she had just stopped being binary, and Bendis was just starting to actually do something with her because she hadn't really been around for a while. Okay. Same thing with Luke Cage. Luke Cage, <laughs> Bendis really rescued Luke Cage because he showed up in Alias really right after Brian Azzarello did his trade to try to make him a... Hip-hop baller. Yeah, yeah hip-hop, <laughs> you know, street, you know, gangster rapper type. <laughs> uh, seriously, and, and if you reread the first few issues of alias that's exactly bendis was trying to mimic that characterization because that was continuity because azarello got a hold of him yeah and really brought him in a in a much more interesting at least to me direction but it's really sort of a microcosm of what marvel comics kind of became uh but it's also the fascination that bendis had with these 1970s characters yes you know, because that's why you bring Ms. Marvel in and Luke Cage in is because that's what you're going for. And whenever I think of those characters, Hellcat is one I think of because, yeah, when I first started reading comics when I was five, year, five six years old, so 75, 76, yeah. 77, that's when they took Patsy Walker, who was actually a character from old school Marvel romance comics. <laughs> And gave her a superhero identity. I think Steve Gerber was involved because that was the kind of weird shit he did. And, okay, <laughs> let's take this romance character and give her. But because of that and because of the, at the time they called it women's lib movement, Marvel was really pushing the hell out of Hellcat, Ms. Marvel, and Tigra of all fucking things. It seemed like they were in every Marvel book that I read when I was a kid. Yeah. So the choice of Hellcat slash Patsy slash Trish Walker <laughs> slash What's-Her-Face from 666 Park Avenue was, <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. Like the first episode, she was in. I'm like, why do I know her? Like, what have I seen her in? Oh, she was in that awful show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this very successful rich character was in the biggest bust I've seen in years. <laughs> but that choice of that character, it, it worked for me because of a, a few other things going on. Just having reread alias it's like yeah that's exactly the type of character that bendis would say i'm gonna rescue you from obscurity and you from obscurity and yeah he gets it in his head that he wants to play in a particular sandbox and he plays in that sandbox until he's exhausted all possibilities <laughs> yeah absolutely and in this case in particular <laughs> yeah. all right one thing that and this i also got the same impression from daredevil i don't think this needed to be 13 episodes yeah, they could have taken uh, the some of the ancillary characters out and trimmed the Scoopy gang down and maybe done a tighter 10. <laughs> yeah, it's... On one hand, I, I get why you would do what they've been doing with these. It's If you ha give yourself the extra real estate with the assumption that 
this may be all we're going to have. Uh, there may not be a renewed second season of Daredevil, or, even though that's what happened. Right. Uh, or Jessica Jones. And we've been too busy watching it for me to check the news to see if that's already been renewed. It took a few weeks for Daredevil to get a, a second season order. Yeah. So probably nothing's happened yet. But But if that's all the real estate you have and you're trying to build a cohesive universe around a character, yeah, why not say, all right, we're going to add a, a Scooby gang, a couple extra characters, and spend some time with them, flesh them out. Yeah. I get why they did it. I don't think it worked particularly well in this case. I mean, d- d- who's the dude who got chopped up and chucked in the river? Ruben and Ruben. his crazy fucking sister. Yeah, Robin. Her name is Robin. Robin. <laughs> well, her name is Robin. His name was Ruben. I mostly remember that he wore diapers. <laughs> Because, you know, as one does. Look, um, I could be I could be a superhero in the Marvel (laughs) Universe. But would this have missed anything? I'm far too late, by the way. We're gonna spoil everything. (laughs) I don't really feel like we've spoiled too much at this point, but now we're gonna spoil. Ruben wears diapers. Ruben all right, that's And makes really stellar banana bread, apparently. Please God tell me that's not a euphemism. No, not the secret snap Meg. Yeah. (laughs) Please God tell me that's not a euphemism. (laughs) For crack now. <laughs> Please, God, tell me that's not a euphemism. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't feel like we spoiled too much up until this point, but yeah, we're now we're going to go into some specific stuff. But all right, so Ruben and Robin, would anything have been lost from this had you just excised them directly from the story? I don't think so. Robin was just painful to watch. I get that you're trying to come up with a, a particular type of New York City denizen. Character? Yeah, and clearly cringe comic relief, if that's how your sense of humor goes, which I don't think either one of ours does. But I don't think we needed to spend as much time on her as we did. Um, I, I I liked Malcolm, who was the sort of sidekick neighbor down the hall. Yeah. But even that storyline, I think, took too much time away from Jessica's storyline, which impacted the pacing. Well, as a plot point early on to show how insidious Kilgrave was yes. to, you know, he's, he's got plans within plans and I'm going to get this guy. You know, I can only control people for 12 hours, but I need him to do something tomorrow. Okay. I'll get him hooked on heroin and give him the money for that. And you know, that worked. And his arc with her getting him up to getting clean worked. Right, it was it was the lingering after the fact. Yeah, it's it seemed like for a while most of his purpose after that was to say, Jessica Jones is a scumbag and she's ruined my life, and only to turn around and realize, oh no, she's a hero. Yeah, I don't think by the by the end of it, you know, spoilers, um, she saves the day and has to get comfortable with the idea of being considered a hero, and he's going to be sort of her connection to humanity, as it were. Seems like it, yeah. Um, again, I don't know that we needed to spend as much time with his ups and downs. <laughs> I'll give credit to the actor whose name I did not look up and can't remember, but yeah. you know, for a 13-episode arc from stumbling... Junkie. You know, <laughs> yeah, bubbles in the wire junkie to upstanding, I'm going to help you through this. Yeah, the burden of being a hero... Yeah, there's tremendous acting job. I like the actor, but yeah, the character. I'm not sure he really had to be there after a certain point. I mean, fucking Nuke. Did Nuke need to be in this at all, except to have somebody as 
an interim, not even villain, just an adversary obstacle to stretch this thing out to 13 episodes. Number one, that Aaron Eckhart looking, is that the actor's name? I don't know who he was. Um, the, the dude who... I uh, thought he looked like, um, what's his face that's married to Veronica Mars? Yeah, Dax Shepard. But no, I think <laughs> But he, it's not him either. But uh, no, I think he looks like the guy who played Harvey Dent in Dark yeah. Knight. Yeah, it's what I think of Nuke, <laughs> the the botched super soldier experiment <laughs> with plastic skin who destroyed Hell's Kitchen. I don't think of you live long enough to become the villain. Well, except that he was, you know, blonde <laughs> fuck toy of Hellcat. That's not Nuke. <laughs> you know. I think that they included him because they were they were trying to they did some nice work in terms of setting up this is how humanity feels post um Age of Ultron um and with the coming of the inhumans and and whatnot um there's very clearly a oh you're one of them and so humanity is trying to is either learning to sort of peacefully coexist or figure out how to be powered up in order to be able to feel comfortable coexisting alongside and and nuke is an example of that okay no that that makes sense and that's and, and even I, patsy i know she wants to go by trish right <laughs> even <laughs> she um they they spend a certain amount of time in the early arc of this uh series showing her working out with her personal trainer and and trying to get strong enough so that she doesn't need others to defend her she's spent all of her life Jessica has been the one that's had her back and 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 defended her even from her own mother. Sure. So when she gets a hold of one of Nuke's reds, <laughs> <laughs> I want those pills. I really... No, you don't. Apparently, <laughs> I smoked seventeen years. The idea of not breathing doesn't bother me. Um, she's just like this, it, it, she finally, for the first time, feels like, oh, this is this is it. This I want to feel this way all of the time. I finally feel like I I can keep up. Until like the drug nearly kills her, but yeah, and it's a decent enough way to put her on the road toward becoming Hellcat. Yeah, I can't imagine that's not in somebody's radar. One would imagine you you can't pick some you can't pick a random character who does have a superhero legacy and and just leave that out unless yeah. they're saving it for defenders. But at least that poor actress who just <laughs> fell off a six 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 Park Avenue. It's like, oh God, please let me get a piece of that Marvel money. That was such a bad show. I mean, it was no Point Pleasant, but it was a bad show. <laughs> you shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> anyway. But uh that is one thing uh, that I was going to bring up. Uh, you can say what you want about Kevin Feige. He understands how, the necessity for, and does very well, setting up what is coming in continuity in earlier properties. Yes. I, I think there was a pretty solid amount of setup toward Captain America Civil War in Jessica Jones, exactly like you said, the post-Age of Ultron, showing that there's an attitude on the street of, oh, it, it, you're one of those. Right. You know, that historically in the Marvel Universe would be pointed at mutants, but needs to be wider spread for Civil War. Yeah, but what we're seeing here is they they don't say for sure, but they hint at the idea of kids being... Well, they don't hint at. There's a whole a whole storyline about kids being experimented on, and that's how how Kilgrave got his powers. 
Um, he was among the test subjects that uh, they were working on. Apparently, his parents allege was a way to keep him from dying from some awful disease, um, but turned out instead to give him mind control powers. Yeah, and there's a certain intimation that Jessica may have been part of the same, at, at Her, least in contact with the same company. What, what the, was the, it was a three-letter thing. IHG or IGH. IHG, PCP. IGH. <laughs> but I, that's also the same company that I believe was... Um, Related to one of the other characters in the story, either Kilgrave or Nuke, um, because Trish was talking on the phone to somebody, and that's when her mom overheard and was like, oh, they paid off Jessica's medical bills when she was in the hospital after the car accident that yeah. brought her to us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Kilgrave okay. that she was talking about. Right. So I drink. <laughs> Me too, doing it right now, but... Um, but this, and this is something that's hint, not hinted at, but they, they talk about in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we've got, you know, people who are coexisting or trying to keep up with the Inhumans, but feel that the only way that they can do that is through chemical means like Mr. Hyde. Right. So you have to figure that out there are a a bunch of scientists that are working on creating the next step for humanity because you've got all these perceived threats of other. So yeah, it's, it's a good setup toward civil war, whether these other companies or other entities are involved or not. The laying the groundwork for why people would be panicked enough to go along with the superhuman registration act. They, they did a pretty solid job putting forth in this. Yes. And they may be doing the same in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, we're about three episodes behind on that. <laughs> Try to catch up on that. Yeah. So it's the other hell of moving. We're behind. We're finally caught up on Flash and <laughs> Arrow. We're still in uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. <laughs> but If you're not watching Ash versus Evil Dead, what the fuck is wrong with you, by the way? <laughs> yeah, not, not to get off topic. Yeah, done perfectly. After the, after the, uh, the pilot, yep, 30-minute, uh, quick, almost sitcom-length, episode of splatter comedy (laughs) fun show um but back to this but yeah they may be doing the same thing in marvel's agents of shield we're just behind on it yes um so things that i enjoyed about this i i I like that they set her up as a strong character and it wasn't necessarily a strong female character that was it was more just she she was who she was and and she was unapologetically unlikable at times. <laughs> no, definitely. I'm not sure I totally agree that there was an effort to make her just strong and not strong female. Okay. And I think this goes back to Bendis's original arc, which I've not read in a long time, uh, the original uh, Purple Man arc. But, I mean, it, fundamentally, it comes down to a rape survivor story. True. Which... You could easily make the argument, ooh, that's a dicey thing for a dude to have written even 15 years ago trying to break into Marvel. You know, the whole, somebody's raped and gets past it. You know. Yeah, but that was, you know, they they, they created the Max um, line for Marvel specifically so stories like that could be told. Yeah, and there, there's nothing wrong with telling the story. It's just, <laughs> it's one of those, 
I've read enough things by enough writers saying, oh, yeah, and then I suggested to the editor that there's a rape in there. It's like, oh, no, you got to do that again. Yeah, and we've talked about that on, on this show, too. It's like, you know, can't you find some other way to be hurtful to a character, a female character, without resorting to that? Right. <laughs> now, the one thing I will say that I think the show got better, at least in the uh, – at least compared to the the issues I was able to reread of Alias – was she was definitely a sexual character and not necessarily in a girly not even not in any way in a girly female kind of way yeah she which you got a little bit of even in that first issue of alias where yeah she's taking it in the shitter from luke cage <laughs> because i feel filthy and at least this way i feel something and uh, no she went after luke cage cuz she wanted to get laid and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That that's kind of cool to see. You don't. Get, Buffy rarely did that. Yeah. <laughs> when did she? In, or if she did. She felt bad about it. Like the Spike storyline, uh, where they they hooked up and broke a house. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, like back that up. Did I just hear a zipper? Did she just? Did he just unzip and plow her on national television? <laughs> But it was it was refreshing to see it's a, a character who is, and it happened through throughout this this mini series. It, it was kind of amazing to see someone get laid in the Marvel universe who wasn't or the Marvel Cinematic Universe who wasn't Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> everybody was you know, yes, this is what we want, and this is what we're going to go do. And everybody carries their own baggage, and everybody has a certain amount of their own damage, and everybody is keeping secrets from everybody else. It was very real life-ish, except some of those secrets were I use my superpowers to murder your wife. <laughs> or I am on red amphetamines that cause me to rage kill. So. <laughs> I guess for me, yes, the, it definitely was a, a storyline that was very much about a woman who was, was raped repeatedly and had related post-traumatic stress disorder because of it and was withdrawn from the world who was trying to take her life back be, via taking this person out so he couldn't hurt anybody else. Right. But I think because they embraced it, they didn't, there was no question about it being rape. They, everybody was very open about it. It was discussed. <laughs> That's true. Um, when Nuke became abusive to Trish, they were, upfront about it and and confrontational about it. It wasn't just her as collateral damage and Trish took it back later by beating him up under the influence of of the reds that she took from him. No, absolutely. Um, it was also <laughs> I, I believe the the first depiction of Cunnilingus in a Marvel property. Hey kids, <laughs> comics. <laughs> um yes, yes. But, you know, unlike some other properties where yeah you get your strong female characters but dot 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 um you know we, we were wondering with the entrance of night nurse in the final episode you know, oh are we gonna see daredevil does she need to get bailed out no and she didn't and, and that was good <laughs> yeah I, I was really expecting to see daredevil by the end of that episode particularly yeah. with the uh with the teaser yeah, as you're waiting in between episodes on netflix assuming you're <laughs> not so drunk you gloss over the <laughs> Which I almost did. Yeah. Are you still watching this? Huh? What? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's strongly intimated, you know, 
another character from the it's oh god don't bring daredevil in because it would really it would really invalidate everything you've done up until now because of that i didn't really seriously think there was going to be daredevil yeah because it, it, it was more a dread it's like oh geez if if daredevil shows up you have fucked up egregiously or right. somebody has said we they're expected to see daredevil yeah Actually, they're expecting to see Iron Man and Captain America, but we can't yeah, <laughs> we can't afford Robert Downey Jr.'s day rate these days. <laughs> give him a percentage of the gross on this; it'll go away. But but yeah, she she was a ridiculously strong character. I mean, she I they talk about it in the book. They kind of show her in action in the book. I have to go back and reread the book. But when you see her physically play it out in a throwdown with a mind-controlled Luke Cage, <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. That's <laughs> oh, absolutely. And there were things in the book where she, well, when it comes to strength, I'm less worried about the powers. Yeah, you know, the most impressive part of that battle with Luke Cage was she didn't know for sure that she wasn't going to kill him. Right. You no, know, when when she pulled the trigger on that shotgun, it was okay. I have to do this. I had to. I have to defend myself, and I don't want to kill this guy. But it's him or me. Yeah. Well, and I think for again, again coming back to, um, they they embraced the violence of of this her reality. A lot of shows when you have a strong female character, and that's why I'm saying they they just treated her to me like a strong character. They avoid having that character get into fights with men. It's always a throwdown with another woman. Yeah, and often the character needs to be rescued by a man. Yeah. So that was one of the other cool things about the Luke Cage fight was there wasn't a reliance on, I need you to snap out of it or I'm going to lose. Right. It was, I need you to snap out of it or, or I'm going, going to, to you. shoot you in the <laughs> face and you might die. I don't know, but I'm going to have to do what I have to do. And that's where I come back to. I, I feel that it wasn't necessarily a in your face. This is a strong female character. This is simply a strong character. Well, and I think what leads me to to go along with that opinion is we were shown enough flashbacks of Jessica before she was uh, taken over by Kilgrave. Right. Both from childhood to, you know, just in the months leading up to it. She was always kind of a mouthy, defective, hard-drinking, <laughs> yes. sex-forward. That's what the character was. Yes. So what happened with Kilgrave was a thing that happened to her, and it was extremely traumatic, but it didn't redefine who she was. No. And once she had a course of action where she could end him, basically, <laughs> that she got past, you know, I don't recall any incidents in probably the back half of the series where she had to sit there and name the streets to bring herself back to herself. It was, okay, right. now I know where he is, and now I know I can do something about it. Yeah. Kudos to them for being willing to go full-on creep with the character of Purple Man, <laughs> by the way. Oh, yeah. That that was, um, as someone who, who enjoyed uh, David Tennant's run as the Doctor in, in the Doctor Who series, I... Um, I enjoyed seeing him get back to that sort of manic, body, brash kind of personality type character after watching him mope the fuck around on Grace Point and Broadchurch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't want emo David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it definitely played to his strengths from playing Doctor Who. But because because of the the way that the character came across, both you and I had these moments of, huh, is this a commentary on the Doctor? <laughs> I think I think there was totally an element of commentary on the doctor there. I think that's part of why he got hired. I think that's part of why they dressed him the way that he did, and it's part of why he acted the way that he did. That was not his Scottish accent. That was his Doctor Who voice. Yeah. yeah I think there's a commentary on the doctor in the sense, and we discussed this a little bit, so yeah. this is rehashing, but but hey, the dude listening, he, he, <laughs> he ain't heard it, or she hasn't heard it, so... but Indulge us. <laughs> You are a woman, because it's always a woman, always an earth woman, Mm -hmm. who this mysterious, quirky man comes in, and he can show you things you've never seen, and take you places that you've never been before, and get you anything adventure-wise, physical-wise, that you think that you've ever wanted. So you go off with him, and he brings you to the greatest places, and... To have the greatest experiences, but it's always the places that he takes you. Right. It's always the places that, you know, he may say, where do you want to go? But ultimately, it's, uh, this is the place that he wants to go. Yeah. And what if there was something sinister behind that? What if that wasn't your choice? What, What if he was exerting an influence on you? Yeah. And what happens when he leaves you or you have to not see him again because one of the best, (laughs) whether it was utterly written perfectly or utterly performed perfectly, but one of the best character beats for Kilgrave was I'm not evil. And, and it's, it's pure, (laughs) it's pure abusive male to, uh, I never did this or no, you're misunderstanding the things that I did. And clearly you wanted these things, but it's in his head. No, I took you to these awesome places. I got all this shit for you. It's nobody ever taught me to behave in a way other than I'm doing now. So it's not that I'm evil. I'm just alien. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's a, okay, I'm done with this one. Let me pick up another one and just go right back to what I was doing. I think there's totally a commentary on the doctor there. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um and so to see at the end where she she's able to draw him in by using his own ego against him. <laughs> oh, it was absolutely the perfect ending. She killed him by mind fucking him. Yeah. <laughs> She gaslit him. She made him believe that the things he was thinking were not right and convinced him that he was getting what he absolutely wanted. It was a perfect ending. Yeah. Because, yeah, to just fly out of the night and, you know, Batman groin kick his testicles across the Hudson River. Yeah. Might have been fun to watch. Or or to have relied perhaps on, on yeah, a deus ex daredevil with a billy club out of nowhere. Yeah. It's a, no, it was the perfect ending for, for somebody who mind fucks. Yeah, to be tricked into going into his own doom while still releasing everybody. And yeah, it was, it was the perfect ending. Yeah. Spoilers. Um, spoilers. <laughs> um, but yeah, the willingness to make Kilgrave creepy. It's, I'd argue in a lot of ways, 
it's either him or Wilson Fisk who are the most effective Marvel villains we've seen in any property so far. More effective than Loki? Loki's not an effective villain. Everybody loves Loki. That's true. Loki's a misunderstood younger brother. <laughs> He's just a kid brother who he just wants what he thinks he deserves. He's just trying to play with his brother. He's not really trying to kill him. He's just trying to get the throne he always wanted. <laughs> Both um, Wilson Fisk and Kilgrave have in common that they don't think they're wrong. They think that their perception of reality is the accurate one and that they need to bend the world to fit their needs. Oh, absolutely. Except Wilson Fisk wants to bend the world to fit his needs because he thinks it's also making the world a better place. Right. Right up until the end of Daredevil where he just completely gives in to revenge and I am a crime lord. And yeah, Kilgrave, if you believe the arguments of nobody ever taught me right and wrong, at best, <laughs> he, he doesn't think he's the villain, but it's only because he just doesn't give a shit about anybody. Yeah. He's far more of a legitimate psychopath of, you're bothering me, go away, except they'll actually go away. Yeah. yeah. Stand by that fence forever. And two episodes <laughs> later, the dude's standing by the fence grinding his teeth. Peeing his pants. Probably. No, he was. There was, there was a big old wet mark. I wasn't looking at his junk. I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. No, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> But Fisk, Fisk certainly was dangerous, less so as his empire fell down around him. Kilgrave was dangerous right from the beginning. The, the gambit of, oh, he's increasing his powers. Again, I think that was a stretching thing. Oh, let's have this go along and just to add a little bit of question as to whether Jessica can beat him or not. Yeah, they didn't necessarily need to go down that road, I don't think. Um but you know, again, it, they like everything else in the show. They when they went that way, they they embraced it. So we're going to use baby parts from yeah. from uh, the aborted fetus of the woman that he was mind controlling and raping at the beginning of the story. Hope, yeah, <laughs> the ironically named Hope, yeah, who doesn't make it through the series alive. And yes, the the lawyer who is Jessica's salvation, at least in the sense of she's the only one employing her is a reprehensible douchebag, <laughs> horrible person. Awful person. No, it, yeah, it's the, uh, who is really good in this series? Luke Cage, I'd say. Even he was <laughs> motivated by revenge for a large part of it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, who's good in this series? Malcolm, I guess. Uh, um. Maybe, but he abandoned <laughs> Jessica for a while and. Night nurse. <laughs> She, well, she does. She was just there to tie the two series together. It could have been they could have pulled anybody out of. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that, that, that Trish, I guess. <laughs> uh, maybe. It gets into the larger nature of what does it mean to be a good person? Are you a good person because you are nice to people? Are you a good person because you do good things? Are can you be an asshole and still do good things? <laughs> I think you got a point there. The question of what is... What's a hero? What, what is heroism? Because, yeah, the more I think about it, yeah, it's when Jessica's parents died, Trisha's family took her in, which is 
good, except it was for public relations purposes, which is selfish and wrong and put her in a bad place to start with. Right. Now, Jessica speaks well of her family, but she performed an action that basically got them killed. Yes. And even though she thinks well of her family, turns out dad may have had a temper and... <laughs> yeah, the, the the neighbor next door with, with her, her gossip about <laughs> the Jones family growing up. Yeah. Took and, them off the pedestal. Yeah, but also took herself off the pedestal. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, there were various things throughout the show of just the simple nature of what is... Yeah, not even what is heroism. What is it to be a good person? Yeah. Luke Cage has all these powers, and he's just hiding in this bar waiting to die because of what happened to his wife. Right. Trish is locked behind security doors and will only talk to Jessica. Yeah. Yeah, she's, I'm here to, I'm doing this show to, this radio show to be a helpful talk show and people come to me for advice and I'm just going to hide up here. Yeah, I'm not going to interact with the public beyond that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of that going on there, which I hadn't really thought of. That was a good observation. Thank you. You're wicked smart. I, I'm so fucking smart. <laughs> and humble. <laughs> and humble. I'm a good person. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing, I'm just going back over my notes, and I keep, I keep landing on this thing was too long. And it didn't have to be too long. Because one of the things I liked about the comic book that I didn't really see here was, again, the Kilgrave story was one arc. It was a relatively long arc. But it was an arc toward the end. The first several arcs in this were just, there was no explanation as to why Jessica was like this. It was like, yes, she used to be a superhero. Yep, she wore this costume. She palled around a little bit with a couple of the Avengers and then just stopped. Said it wasn't for her. Yeah. Um, but there were, I don't want to say case of the week, but there were different cases. The first arc was somebody hired her under false pretenses on a divorce job, but it turns out they hired her to follow around Captain America and get videotape of him changing into his Steve Rogers identity. Because at that point in Marvel continuity, it wasn't public yet. Right. And uh, all the machinations behind who hired her and why. There was another one where she was brought into a town to find out where a missing kid was. and about They could have very easily done a few case of the week kind of things to let us just spend time with this character without immediately going into who she is and what a large part of her motivation seems to be and we will learn is not necessarily the case via flashbacks later but oh it, it all seems to be around this violation by Kilgrave right so I would have liked to have seen yeah just spend some time on two or three cases you could have spent the first three episodes introducing the characters and the interactions on just case of the week stuff without even mentioning Kilgrave. And I think I would have liked it a little better and it would have justified the 13 episodes a little better. Perhaps. Um, but it seems as though, at least with Daredevil before this, um, they, they kind of want to get straight into, here is our protagonist, here is their evil nemesis fight. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, and... I wonder if that's because of the nature of we're going to have a, a 13 episode drop all at once, as opposed to you're going to slowly get to know this character over a number of weeks. 
and they're probably that's probably a certain amount of the the plan to it. And we I, we probably made the same observation with Daredevil and just can't remember right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's if you set the thing up less like a short TV series and more like a wicked long movie. Yes, you can get somebody to watch. You know, if you get past the first episode, okay, get them into the second. Now you probably have them for all thirteen, whether it's on a long weekend or over the course of two or three weeks. Right. But at the same time, uh, it's not even at the same time. I'm sure a large part of it is, you know, look, I'm 44 years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been watching TV since since there was no since serialization between episodes was something that happened on the afternoon soap operas that I watched during summer vacation. Yes. I just expect different things from television, but that doesn't mean that's how they have to be. And I guess I got to give Netflix credit. It's like, no, let's try this other thing. Yeah, and I think in doing this, the form evolves, rightly or wrongly. Certainly. I, I think you're going to get people who begin to write tighter for this style of format as this becomes more common. Yeah. No, you're probably right. <laughs> and I mean, I think what we'll, I think, you know, when d the second season of Daredevil drops, we'll get a, a sense of how, how have they tightened things up, hopefully? How, how has it evolved further? How are they handling a change in the ensemble? See, it, it almost seems like, and I'm hoping this is the case, it almost seems like they're going for more of a standard television season with the second, because it looks like there's two distinct villains between the Punisher and Elektra. Okay. Which could mean two distinct story arcs, because otherwise the lesson they're learning is from 1990 superheroes movies, which is, hey, kids, let's just plow more fucking villains in <laughs> and make it bigger and badder than the last one. And that'll that'll make things better. Right. Batman and Robin. Yeah. No, you, you, you raise a, a good point. <laughs> Hopefully that won't be the case. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, particularly in the early episodes of this, I think it was a lot stronger than Daredevil was. Or at least I found it more affecting. Okay. The, the first few episodes, yeah, just how out front the character was and how it was, particularly in the first few, it seemed very much like more of a noir detective story. Very much so. You know, yes, Kilgrave was the villain right out of the beginning, but there was this short story with Hope and her parents and the downbeat ending and... The idea that superpowers were at best this ancillary thing that almost didn't matter. And didn't help. Yeah. It's, you know, you find a lock and she's strong enough to twist it off the locker as opposed to having to pick the lock or shoot it off. It was, it didn't make any difference whatsoever from following the 1930s Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler detective stories that they were clearly going for. Right. right down to the theme music. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So yeah, it was just downbeat. And very noir. There are no happy endings here. I think it got our more conventional superhero story by about the fifth or sixth episode where that became, how do we get Kilgrave into the isolation booth? <laughs> and, oh, look, this super, this man is taking super soldier pills and becoming a dick. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting evolution to watch. Like, gorky police officer character. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what's his name? Oh, that's Nuke. All right, so when is he going to become Nuke? Oh, okay, now he's Nuke. He's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a wuss Nuke, but he's Nuke. <laughs> Can I mention one thing? Sure. For a superhero story, everybody seemed really comfortable with the idea of murder and body desecration <laughs> and body dumping. And 
right out of the gate, it's a foregone conclusion. Yep, we're going to kill Kilgrave. Uh, well, okay, should you bring him to justice? Uh, no, he really needs to die. Uh, well, if you put him in this isolation booth and, I don't know, maybe we can get him. No, we should really kill him right away. <laughs> and, and Je- Jessica, I need to go to a supermax prison. Let me chop the head off this corpse that has been left in my house. <laughs> Then the poor junkie who wanted to be a social worker. I think it's acceptable for me to wade this body down and dump it into the fucking river. Wait, let me scrub this crime scene for my neighbor. Yes, and Luke, <laughs> Luke Cage, Power Man, hero for 45 years in the Marvel Universe. I want to kill Kilgrave. I'm going to follow you around and I'll kill him if I get a chance. It seemed, and it, that's fine for a noir story. The bad guy's got to go down. But it's you, well, they let it become very much a Marvel superhero story toward the end. And they just, did try to keep Jessica in her defense. Tried to keep him alive for the sake of proving Hope's innocence for a large chunk of the series. It wasn't until Hope finally killed herself that that she also was like, you know what? Yep, he's gonna go. It's and actually, this just occurred to me. Doing it that way embracing the noir the femme fatale was the fucking hero yeah yeah the femme fatale of the noir was jessica jones when she is around your life goes to shit and you find yourself doing things that you would never do otherwise oh, she's worse worse than angela lansbury <laughs> no this is this is a dead serious point about crime fiction it's yeah. in noir the idea of the femme fatale is against your better judgment you do what this woman says and it leads you to ruin now, in most noir, that woman is, she's the villain. She's leading you to ruin. This, the hero is the, Luke Cage. You, know, <laughs> you, you let me have sex with you and you murdered my wife for Christ's sake. Um, yeah, the, the kid junkie. It's, <laughs> you know, oh God, I followed you and I got clean, but now I'm throwing dead kids in diapers off the fucking pier. Everybody who, everybody who's around Jessica, her life turns to, their life turns to shit. She's, she's the bad guy. She's the femme fatale. Kinda, it's yeah. perfect for noir. <laughs> I can't believe I just thought of this. I didn't think of it while I was watching it. It's she is the one who leads people to ruin. Yeah, and that's kind of awesome. And she's acutely aware of it. Yeah, but she <laughs> but she'll keep manipulating people and trying to. She'll be a dick. She's not. Yeah, she's not necessarily doing it with. She wasn't trying to lure Luke with sex. Nope. It's just yeah. She just is. She wanted sex. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's by nature of her being around, other people are led to ruin. Yeah, she's the femme fatale. This is totally a noir. <laughs> it's a noir where the femme fatale is a hero, and that's wicked cool now that I think about it. Yeah, it's, it turns certain tropes on its head, and that's that's what makes the storytelling fun. Yeah. So th- there's more to this even than I – the tricky part of bi- – <laughs> the tricky part about binge-watching 13 hours of television – over three days, and then almost immediately doing a radio show about it. <laughs> yeah, I got about a half a page here of scribbled down notes that at the very end of it, it's like, all right, here are some things. But the more you think about it, more stuff comes up, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. We will have to give this another watch at some point. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we said that about Daredevil. Uh, the the radio show marches on. It's so. true. It's true. <laughs> all right, so anything else about Jessica Jones? It's... The, I. Parts of it certainly better than Daredevil. Parts of it uh, not quite. I think as it toddled more into, okay, we're just a superhero story, it actually got weaker. I'm not sure that it got weaker. I, 
I felt I felt thoroughly engaged by all of it from from pretty much A to B. I think in certain ways it was more relatable than the Dare, Daredevil story because um, it was street level and with people who who were just strong and and punchy. Like, <laughs> like strong and punchy, you say? <laughs> like like Daredevil, great show. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm not a ninja. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's a possible title. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a ninja. I could I could see you know throwing a punch. I could see getting into a bar brawl. I I could see being an asshole. Yeah, I could see being manipulated and tricked and feeling used and abused. Yeah. But I'm not putting myself in like a sensory deprivation tank. I'm not recovering from having chemicals splashed on my face that have made me blind. <laughs> I'm I'm not learning um the finer points of martial arts from a blind man with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that that is true. Uh, look, these are supposed to be more street level heroes, but yeah, Jessica Jones was Jessica Jones was designed to be far more street level than even Daredevil was. Yeah. No, it was very much a character of I had these powers, so I decided to do this, and it sucked. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I wanted that job, but it sucked, so I quit. She, she's like every everybody has somebody like her um, orbiting their lives in some capacity. This, um, all right, I went to this job because I feel like I'm supposed to have a job. It sucked, so I quit. Like, was, yeah. Well, why, why don't you find another job? Oh, I will, but it'll suck and I'll quit. <laughs> like, yeah. And it will. And it will. <laughs> um, quit smiling, you idiot. You're supposed to be a professional. <laughs> I made it an hour before I did a sound clip. It's I true. Just wanna... It's true. Uh, and you get frustrated with them and you wonder why they can't get their shit together. But some people just don't ever get their shit together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. God knows I haven't. <laughs> I live out of boxes, for Christ's sake. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this was a worthwhile viewing. And if you have not yet, for some reason, seen it and um, have sat here through all of the spoilers and still would like to see it, uh, you should. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, look, <laughs> for good or ill, and it's, it's not 100% necessary, but Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios have set it up that if you want to be fully engrossed and entertained by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You kind of have to watch everything. Not 100%. Like, I've seen Thor The Dark World. I was really shit-faced. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what happened in it. I, I remember one of the Doctor Whos was the dick. but Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. So, it's not utterly necessary, but if they got you this far, you're probably going to watch it one way or the other. The good news is it's good enough that it's worthwhile. Yes. You know, should you do it in a two-and-a-half-day, 13-hour burn and then try and do a radio show about it? Well, it's kind of difficult. I'll tell you that. But yeah, but definitely worth watching. All right. All right. We are about uh, an hour in. You want to talk a couple books Let's at least? Let's talk a couple of books. Briefly, because sure. we are taping a little bit later, even than we usually do. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you actually have to rebuild the studio. It's true. <laughs> at the end of uh, it's true. watching what the show's about. Which one do you want to start with? Oh, let's start with Secret Six, number eight. All right. Secret Six, eight, uh, written by Gail Simone, art by Dale Eaglesham, and Tom, uh, I'm going off my notes, Devenick? Derenick. Derenick. Okay. 
Uh, so yeah, Cthulhu's coming to kill them. This is, uh, I always enjoy um, Gail Simone's work, particularly on Secret Six. This is a book that has um, a fun sense of humor and still a, a fair amount of darkness. It's uh, part two of, I don't know how many parts this is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it gets into, yeah, these ancient gods that are, that are out there, um, using humans for amusement and they're affecting Black Alice. It's why she can't control her powers. It's why she, uh, continuously keeps trying to absorb magical powers from other magically powered individuals and, and it treats, and it feels like, um, they're treating it like it's a drug addiction. She gets this incredible high off of it and then she crashes. Right. Um, and if she can't be stopped or she can't be cured, this is going to break down the wall between worlds and let these gods in. <laughs> and that's always a bummer. Yeah. Um, as always, it's enjoyable uh, seeing Ralph Dibney back, even in the, this new form as uh, Mr. Wells. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about that when we talked about an earlier issue uh, a few weeks I mean, at this point, Jesus months back. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, seeing him back in the flesh and a, a remarkably different interpretation. Yeah. You know, almost old timey, but, but it's, it's good to see him back. It is. It is fun. Um, this book has a, a great sense of humor when Aquaman shows up, uh, which you always want to make, you know, you, you want to tell a joke. <laughs> I'm so glad that somebody finally remembers that Aquaman is a fucking gork who is meant to be mocked. Yeah. I give Jeff Johns credit for turning him into an actual viable character, but every once in a while, you like to dig the old Aquaman jokes out of the trunk. And, he, and then he has this throwdown with Catman. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> exactly. And uh, who is it? Ventriloquist and Talon and Banshee just drooling over... Aquaman and Catman tuning each other up. <laughs> um, and literally a cat fight. It, no. <laughs> oh. Oh. I didn't write that ahead of time, I swear to God. Um, I'd feel ashamed if I wrote that ahead of time. Yeah. And Etrigan is like this weird comic relief. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the in perfect rhyme, but basically saying, Wonder Woman, I fucked her. Yeah. <laughs> Full Andrew Dice Clay, but not Lemrick rhyming, like lower, lower demon. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it, it's a fun book and I'm always, I'm always intrigued by something that's going to have a Cthulhu element in it. So when these old timey supposed Atlanteans at the end, um, sort of show their true faces, faces in this very, you know, uh, Dagon kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that was a fun reveal. I should have seen it coming. I feel like, but it was it was a nice surprise. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. It's uh, I should have should have guessed that. But uh, look, I'll watch superheroes fight Lovecraftian elder gods all goddamn day long. Yeah, you know, comic books with elder gods, lock and key, almost Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, almost exclusively, except that Alice caught one from two or three years ago. Where I'm like, you're trying too hard, kid. But, <laughs> So uh, this the, the one thing, and I'm I, I might be misremembering. I want to say the White Gate. Uh, Alan Moore introduced that in his Swamp Thing Crisis on Infinite Earths crossovers. 
Yeah. I could be wrong because my entire reference comics library is still in boxes. <laughs> but I want to say that's where that came from. And I always hate giving Alan Moore any reason to feel like he's the guy who invented comics in 1985. But, uh, but yeah, it's otherwise, it, yeah, it's, it, it's a fun book. This has always been a fun book. Do I miss the Deadshot-centric, Bane-centric Secret Six from pre-New 52? You're goddamn fucking right I do. Yeah, and I, but, I do too. But it's nice to see them trying to get as much of the band back together as they can. Absolutely. So, yeah, this has been a fun title. Suffered from a few delays early on. Yeah. Hopefully they're over. It's been a little hard to follow comics news with no internet for two and a half weeks. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, th- this is a good one to pick up. So our other book is Vader Down, Star Wars. Yep. Vader Down. Yep, number one. Number one by Jason Aaron. Yep, art by Mike Deodato Jr. Uh, this is going to be... Oh, and, and Kieran Gillen helped on the story. Okay, because, yeah, this is actually going to be a crossover between the main Star Wars title and the Darth Vader title and and this sort of ancillary. It's going to be, I think, a six-part story that crosses through all of them. Yes. And uh, But, yeah, this one uh, Aaron wrote. And in one issue of one comic book Jason Aaron made Darth Vader more of a bad motherfucker (laughs) than Hayden Christensen could have done if he had a thousand years to do it in a literal bathtub full of bath salts. I was going to say it helped to redeem the damage that Hayden Christensen did to the damn character. (laughs) Yeah. This is the terrifying Darth Vader that we, we honestly never even saw in the movies. Right. You know, it was always implied yeah, he, yep, he'd point and kill some Sith, not uh, Sith, some Imperial general, and everyone was clearly scared to be around him. This is, <laughs> this is Darth Vader versus the first airborne division and one of the Navy <laughs> F-18 Hornet <laughs> yeah. flight wings and winning because you know he's going to win. There's nothing in continuity saying that Darth Vader was ever captured by the rebellion. That's right. So it's this is really a horror movie. This is almost a slasher movie. You know he's not going to get killed, and he's going to be around for the it's next just one. Going to keep coming. It's just how is he going to kill the next teenager? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And it's absolutely. It, yeah, facing an entire wing of X-Wings and knocking two-thirds of them out until he's almost suicide hit by another Force-sensitive character. Yeah. You know, a Y-Wing wing comes in to bomb him into oblivion. He kills him with three fucking rocks. <laughs> and when he goes up against that first wing and he's being told uh, by, and I forget the character's name, it's in uh, Gillen's Darth Vader, and she's supposed to be the Indiana Jones of the oh, Star Dr. Wars. Oh, Dr. Aphra. Yeah, and that's one cool thing. We're going to get the Star Wars Indiana Jones versus the Indiana Jones Han Solo. They're going to meet at some point during this because yeah. they're both in it, and that's going to be cool. <laughs> but yeah, she's saying, you know, get out of there. You can't win. And he says, I'm a Lord of the Sith. They're the ones who should be running. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Um. And they've, they've landed on a place called Vragas Vas. Um, and it turns out that this is a, a world that has a former Jedi temple. Right. And so it's, it's a place of power for Jedi. So this will seemingly power up Luke. 
what effect will it have on Vader? <laughs> well, I think it will mean that Vader will fuck all comers. Yeah. <laughs> or that closing. And I give, when it comes to almost 90s style realistic art, Mike Deodato is, is my, hands down my favorite. Yeah. And he gets a little crazy with the line work sometimes and clearly does photo reference a lot. At least he's not photo referencing. You like you know. it better than John Cassidy? No. Okay. But I don't think John Cassidy is is fully as attempts to be nineties photorealistic in the same way that okay. Deodato does. All right. I think there's a lot more photo reference in, in Deodato's, but at least he's not photo referencing stroke mags from like truck stops <laughs> the way Greg Land does. But uh, it's even even with that kind of style, he gets some emotion out of Vader's mask. Yeah. The, the moment he realizes that the the character coming to ram him is force sensitive and he's like, Oh Jesus, who's on that ship? And just the menace in the, that last double page spread where there's got to be a hundred rebel soldiers and armored personnel carriers. And he's just standing in the middle. It just sort of a badass, almost 90 style cape in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the quote is, you know, all I am is surrounded by fear and dead men. And it, it's just, I really like the art in this issue. Yeah. No, the, the, the art is excellent in this issue. Um, and, and there's all of this, you know, serious, like, badassery going on, but there's still time for humor. <laughs> those, um, Dr. Afra's killbots are just. I, I love those killbots. <laughs> Absolutely love them. Are just awesome. Yep. Um, you know, they, they are very much, you know, the, the, the dark version of, of 3PO and R2. Um, and I, there's also stuff in here with, with Han and Leia that, you know, will feel familiar to you if you've watched any of these movies. Um, they, they really nail the tone. Um, you never feel with these books as though you're reading something that, uh, isn't part of the greater Star Wars universe. It's all very tonally dead on for characters and dialogue. Totally. And yeah, this is another one that's, like I said, since you know Vader's going to get away, one of the notes I have here is this feels like going into World War Hulk, yeah. which is a crossover. I was really excited about going into it because, yeah, shit, what happens if Hulk decides he wants to destroy New York? It's like not, you know, I want to be left alone. It's I'm coming for you. What happens if Darth Vader by himself in a place that increases his power is against the Rebel <laughs> Alliance yeah. when you know for a fact he's not going to get killed? Right. Right? So, yeah, it's got a, a very much World War Hulk. The best I can think of is slasher movie vibe. You come here, you go to a slasher movie to see Jason Voorhees take out a bunch of teenagers. Yeah. And you come to Vader down to see Darth Vader. What? What do you think he's going to do? Stealth tactics? You think he's going to sneak around like Obi-Wan? Kinda? No. But he the larger question, though, is you, know, you also know that, that Luke is going to get away. Because Luke shows up in time for Empire Strikes Back. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, that's the question. Will they ever even face each other? Yeah. It's a good question. So. And, and I would imagine they will in some fashion. But no. maybe not. I don't know. You never maybe know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, this is a, a really strong start to a story I didn't even know I wanted. <laughs> of Darth Vader just 
mowing people down like a fucking serial killer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we were past due for something like that, frankly. Yeah, it's uh, the last time we saw Darth Vader on film, it was Hayden Christensen on... Killing st- kids. No, it was Hayden Christensen <laughs> on stilts. Oh, God, yeah. Screaming, no! <laughs> James Earl Jones' voice. That's a good point. I want my Darth Vader to fucking murder. Yeah, we don't want, again, much like we, we don't want... Um, I, I don't want a Darth Vader that cuts down younglings. I want a Darth Vader that butchers children. <laughs> and this is that Darth Vader. We don't want emo David Tennant. We don't want emo <laughs> Vader. <laughs> That's right. I want monsters. Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a strong one. Definitely worth picking up. Yes. All right. We got anything else, or how are we doing on time here? We are about one fifteen, so not our longest show, but shaking off some of the rust. Yeah. And uh, th- again, we are starting taping even later than usual because too much building. Exactly. Too much building and moving, and Jesus Christ. But at least we're back. We are back, and you we can, should be back on schedule. I say you can probably expect us back next week as well. Oh God, please don't let something come up to knock out our internet. <laughs> We'll see what happens with the painting the following week. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yes. So, all right. So let's see if I can remember the closeout speech. Uh, <laughs> don't know where you found this show, but you can always find us at our home website, which is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. I would say we're trying to do more with it. We haven't done <laughs> shit with it for it or anything else for about four weeks, but we will make an effort and we certainly can get messages there if you want to reach out to us. And thank you for, thank you those of you who have actually found the page and liked it. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's a, uh, yeah, facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. Uh, we are on Twitter. Uh, shit. I at fi- infinite midlife. I finally forgot the fucking <laughs> handle at infinite midlife. Did you also forget about Dre? I think you forgot about Dre. No inside jokes on this show. <laughs> we, we are on Tumblr, uh, crisis, uh, crisis on Uh, you can find this show on iTunes. And if you do, uh, if that's your favorite way of getting podcasts, do us a favor. Uh, give us a review. Uh, give us a rating. It helps other people find the show. And it's nice hearing from listeners. Yes. Uh, we are on TuneIn Radio. We are. Hopefully still proud <laughs> members of the Comics Podcast Network. Did I miss anything? I think you got it all. You can email us. Yes. Crisisoninfinitemidlives.gmail.com. At gmail.com. At, what the fuck did I say? Dot Doesn't gmail. matter. <laughs> at gmail. Crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. And Jesus Christ. Uh, finally. <laughs> not even supposed to be here today. That is it. This has been episode 91 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. And derp. I don't even have anything witty at this point. (laughs) Let it go. I forgot about Trey. (laughs)